0: for what can be a faction and as you said it's between I guess mice and a wolf Yeah. whereas whereas the stag and the bear are like because they're hirelings what did you say they were uh, Kyle? Yeah they're like mythic you know
1: (laughs) there's a certain awe that goes with those characters I think.
2: It's unclear to me if they speak right I think that's what I want to know like I think the stag seems like it does speak the like common language of the woodland or whatever Mm, right
1: right, because it's very orderly right it would have to speak enough to be able to like order clothes and make (laughs) signs (laughs) and stuff yeah um but the bear on the (gasps) other hand definitely seems like it just kind of comes out of the woods just like
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it has people on the head it has a club an item unique to a bear it doesn't have any other items like like the Vagabonds do. It's called the Outcast, but it does have clothes. Does a bear need a club? It's a bear. <laughs> yeah, it's a little overkill, honestly. Right? I honestly think the club is rather merciful compared to the Sharp Claws. Well, yeah, exactly. But it, it gives him even further reach. I mean, he's a bear. He He's going to overpower anybody, but now he can do it from another two feet away. Yeah. And he holds three clubs at a time like he's Babe Ruth. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like he's on deck you mean yeah she's <laughs> got a couple these swinging around he's just doing some strength training i mean i think that the wolf was maybe a bit of an oopsie mm. <laughs> in ter- in terms of like size right because mm. it's the the ranger is a wolf right right um well badgers can get pretty big can't they yeah but i feel like a wolf is pretty huge not wolf size, but like yeah compared to the rest of the animals so i think scale wise that one is like maybe a bit of an oopsie or maybe the rangers are really really small
0: vultures those wingspans can get pretty ridiculous like that's buzzards point. and stuff that's, that's true. a good point this comes from our discussion of like what can be a faction in the woodland right because insects we think probably not
2: yeah i think i remember reading something in the rpg that you can have one as a pet like a cricket or a grasshopper so i think that's like kind of a, like a sub class within the universe and I think like before Marauders came out the idea was that the bear was like a dragon or like a oh. a golem right like it was like a big beast that was like uncivilized Um, but now uh, it's a bear with a club it's a bear with three clubs yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. still uncivilized if you think about it <laughs> sure yeah he should be
1: using swords <laughs> no he's just hitting people with clubs and Watching trash TV. Sounds like fun to hang out with, (laughs) honestly.
0: What have you two been up to in the Root world?
1: Oh, Jake. I'm so glad you asked. Um, These episodes are on a bit of a delay, but this is the week that we first got to see some action in the winter tournament.
2: Yeah. uh, This is the the part of the podcast where we say, throw away everything we ever learned about Root. (laughs) And it's time to relearn the game because the winter tournament is turning things on its head you can start listening to the podcast right now now start starting right now, now. things are relevant yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. if you did listen to all of our previous episodes um do us a quick favor first head over to uh apple podcast give us a five-star <laughs> review and then in immediately delete all of that information from your brain mm-hmm. start yeah. from scratch yeah this episode that was
0: arguably not a waste of your time because you were entertained but it is a waste of your brain space so delete it
1: you're going to want to free that up for some more valuable information like trivia or
0: (laughs) so what
2: do you mean everything's changed elaborate well I think this brings us straight into root news (laughs) root news Uh, We're starting uh, these episodes with tournament updates right now. There has been five games in the winter tournament. Uh, For those of you who don't want to know what happens in the tournament games, you're going to want to skip ahead a few minutes in the podcast here because we are going to be spoiling (laughs) the tournament results. We are going to be talking about them, but you've also had weeks. At this point, I was gonna
0: say, this is a spoiler that's like three weeks late because of the delay of when we record versus when these are published.
2: I'll leave it to Jake's discretion whether he wants to keep my spoiler warning. Regardless, (laughs) the Corvid conspiracy won the first game of the winter tournament.
1: Oh, Oh, starting off spicy. I love it.
2: Me too. Oh, and this was a doozy of a game,
1: too, you guys. Do yourselves a favor. Definitely watch the VOD if you haven't caught any of the coverage. I really, really do recommend this game. First game of the Winter Tournament, we had, I think, at one point, like over 110 people uh, watching it live, uh, which is way more than we've had live for, I think, most of the other tournament events. Yeah, any of them, yeah. uh, Which is really cool because there was also like a lot of energy in chat, too. And this game just got so wild. So, right, we know the outcome. The Corvids won already that's pretty uh, headline worthy it's pretty unexpected outcome. Yeah. Corvet's classically uh, performed very poorly in <laughs> tournament play as we've mentioned on this podcast multiple times. But I mean does this turn everything on its head Sam? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think it's all, all it all has to be gone over again. Jake has been warning us from the beginning not to make sweeping statements and this is what we get. <laughs> Because now everything game we've talked about already, and we're like, guys, everything's changed. Yeah, it's all different. Um I mean, the crows are winning, the vagabond's gone winless, like everything <laughs> we know about the game is wrong.
0: How many games have occurred since this recording? Five or six? Five. Five. Okay. And the vagabonds won zero, though they've been in three of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the Corvids uh, came out of that first game. That first game I watched a lot of, that was uh, super fun. Do we want to go into any details of that first one? Yeah, we can it was do so a boggles. quick,
1: just like a quick recap. Yeah. Uh, Even yeah. if
0: you know about this, it's fun to remember it three weeks later, because this was bananas at the time.
1: This was pretty crazy at the time. Back in these days, this was crazy, okay? <laughs> I
0: don't know if you remember.
1: Oh, so this is kind of a fun detail for the Winter Tournament. I've been uh, basically like documenting all the games as they've happened over in uh, Woodland Warriors, Created, like, a little sub-channel thing, or thread, to uh, <laughs> where I just write up a report about, like, what happened to the games. So, okay, here we go. Game one. It's on the uh, mountain map. We had Spratic Zoom playing the Lizards. Had a really great game. Really audacious play from Spratik. Loved that. Uh, we had Rehab playing the Corvids. We had JC as the Keepers and Iron, and Sparky as the Cats. Uh, now, I feel like this game really was pretty different from anything we've ever seen before for a couple reasons one is the lost city is now on the mountain map and that Mm -hmm. had an insane impact on the game sam tell us a little bit like the the lost city replaced the tower in the past and the tower used to give like a passive point if you ruled that clearing at the end of your turn now it's the lost city which serves as whatever clearing suit you want it to be for a given purpose it's like a wild clearing
2: Yeah, it it says on the card, it is all suits for all purposes. It's very interesting. We've kind of talked on the pod a little bit about it, about how uh, that means it's always a place where the lizards can do a conspiracy Uh, in regards for the crows. They can always get an extra recruit. Well, they always get at least four, (laughs) Um, assuming there's not the keep there. Um, But regardless, it has that great crow's buff. Uh, What were the other factions you said, Kyle? Birds?
1: Uh, No, lizards, corvids, um, badgers, and cats.
2: I actually got a a
0: text message from Kyle in the middle of the afternoon because I didn't know this game was starting that just said,
1: Uh, Rabbit dominance is in play. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I ran to my computer.
1: And then I was like, oh, and also the corvids might win. Like, this was the game. (laughs) <laughs> when all of the crazy root things that aren't supposed to happen, like, completely happened. And that
0: actually, that rabbit dominance probably would have occurred if the Corvids hadn't won, right? Because the Corvids were the turn before the Lizard would have had it at their birdsong, right?
1: Yeah, so the just to quickly sum it up, the game was pretty great overall. Like, there was a lot of really interesting play, especially, if, I feel like, from the Keepers and Iron. The Badgers had a great game, but it really did come down to, like, that last turn Everyone at the table just really wheeling and dealing, trying to figure out who to stop. Dominance got triggered. Everyone's like, you know, suddenly all negotiations go up in flames and they're <laughs> having to be like reformed on Trees the last turn. Treaties are burned. <laughs> Ambassadors are kidnapped. <laughs> it was pretty great. Um, and It's one of the reasons why I think watching the Winter Tournament is so refreshing because I've been, you know, been playing a lot of digital recently and on our uh, digital versus TTS um, episode... Um, we talked about how there's like, just so much more table talk in TTS. And that element is, woo. it's coming through nice and strong in the winter. Tournament. <laughs> so, this is the game for that. Game right. two. Game two, um, I played in. Yeah, you Ooh. were in this game. I wanted to go early in the tournament, I think. I just wanted to kind of get my game in there and uh, just kind of see what it's like. Because uh, then I get to complain about it for longer, which is yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, game two, winter map. We had the Vagabond. I played the Arbiter Vagabond. It sort of a randomly generated uh, Vagabond class. Uh, the Arbiter starts with two swords. Shockingly, you
0: passed up cats as a draw.
1: That's right. The unpicked faction was cats. Um, yeah. well, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. We had the Woodland Alliance, played by the one, the only, SP Shaman. Yeah. Uh, you know it's going to be like a a little bit of a spicy game when SP is is playing and it did not disappoint
2: <laughs> we just had a practice game with sp shaman too so to see you guys in the same game was super fun
1: yeah it was great it was great i feel like the mindset was very like tournamenty but at the same time we were both going for uh a little bit of like risky plays so i was, mm-hmm. I was into it we had the lord of the hundreds played by spencer really really excellent game from spencer uh and then luke played the eerie dynasties so, I think the he- there's a couple headlines from this game. One is that the Lord of Hundreds and the Vagabond compete for items, right? Lord of the Hundreds really wants these items to fill up the hoard and add to their action economy. Same with the Vagabond, want to expand the action economy. In this game, the Vagabond got all the Ruin items. So, in terms of that like resource competition, the Vagabond came out ahead, for sure. The Lord of Hundreds actually didn't have a single item the entire game it was wild really what? unusual really unusual. and they were
2: really competitive yeah, in the game with 29 any points items. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. holy cow <laughs>
2: yeah it was crazy we're gonna have
0: to bookmark that game just for reference when we make our hundreds guide because yes. that's bananas that they got to 29 and didn't have items yeah. also obviously we have a whole discussion of the economy of items now because there's two factions that utilize them right
1: right all oh, right exactly i mean there
0: always kind of was if there was two vagabonds but now it's just bananas with the hundreds in it too mm-hmm. oh that's really fascinating
1: yeah uh with alliance had a good game too they crafted boat builder so they were just zooming around the map like all over the place really out of control uh, we will get into uh, the woodland alliance later later on in this app but uh suffice it to say they had an excellent game uh it, it did a pretty classic winter map thing which is where the two army factions kind of took over their half of the board and they kind of stayed out of each other's way i think that partly explains how the lord of hundreds got to 29 points so fast yeah they just had a lot of space to work with
0: oh they were like able to oppress early on and stuff you mean yes exactly you know that was the craziest starting board state because alliance had no presence on the starting of the board you were one little vagabond and then it was Hundreds on one side and then was it birds on the other right? mm-hmm. yeah, birds in <laughs> and just one clearing. Yeah. Desolate winter
1: landscape with no <laughs> other things out there. It was kind of bananas A Really good argument for having the cats in the game. Just kind of fill out the space. Yeah, fit, for mm-hmm. sure But okay, so uh, the game uh, went on Vagabonds Did not perform well. I mean the arbiter doesn't have a torch ability uh, Just a sort of weird other players can use them for defense. Give them a point for free or whatever mm-hmm. in this tournament one of the rules changes is despot infamy for the Vagabond, meaning that they only score one bonus point when they remove enemy pieces in a battle as the attacker.
2: As opposed to getting an extra point for every piece. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then, you know, if you get a point for cardboard or whatever, that also gets shipped in there. And so what we learned is that that is a pretty significant nerf. Uh, and it did slow the Vagabond down a little bit. I mean, it was probably only responsible for, I think, two victory points before my last turn. Uh, if it had made it back around my turn again, I think I might've been able to win the game. I was looking at a 10 point gap with despot infamy. It was extremely uncertain though. I would have had right. to like double quest aid three times, like pull out all the stops, but
0: we we won't go into the detail of the next games, but like, did those vagabonds have that issue as well?
1: Yes. The other times the vagabond appeared, both of those times it was the ranger which again is a very Uh, aggressive kind of like battle oriented mm -hmm. vagabond, which really does rely on those um, infamy points to to make it across the finish line and stay uh, up with the pack in the race.
0: I'm surprised you only had two that would have made a difference because you started out with a sword. You found another sword quickly, right? And then did you even craft one too? He starts out with two swords. Oh, he starts with two. That's what it was. I was gonna say you were a sword machine. You were like that bear with clubs, but exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I had three swords. Yeah, we, we would have been friends for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was, um, it was pretty tough. I uh, I just think that the vagabond has is slowed a lot by um, Desperate Infamy, and and it's just tricky. You just have to be hyper aggressive. Uh, yeah. The other thing too is because the vagabond's only one meeple doesn't do a great job of controlling factions that spread out across the map very well. And uh, I think that was more the headline of this game than than Despot Infamy. But I think we should talk about, does Despot Infamy over-nerf the Vagabond?
2: Wow, here we go. Hot takes. To me, (laughs) I've been struggling with this, Kyle, because I see that it only does two or three points in the game. Like, I'm trying to count out the difference, and it doesn't seem like a huge difference, and yet we don't see the Vagabond do well. Is that because they're still being policed like it's not Despot Infamy? I suppose so. I I guess so. I don't know. It's a little bit tricky. I also think that the
1: the vagabond has to adopt a slightly different play style as well because they can't rely on the late game the late game regular infamy points. It means that they have to go for infamy way earlier if it's going to be a factor at all. And so actually, we saw some of the the vagabond play styles adapt as the weekend went on, and they started battling earlier grabbing points early in the game even if it didn't make any sense to like battle in those clearings they were just like well i have to hit somebody get some points so like and
0: you were that point yeah so were you bopped a lot did you feel like you were policed more than usual or about the the correct amount i feel like especially in that game when there's only so many options for people attack i mean the lord of the hundreds can attack quite easily but everybody else has to work for it
1: i think i was bopped less than i should have been yeah uh, well, but it still was plenty. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say that the Desmond Infamy is a pretty significant turn to the Vagabond. And yeah, it's we'll see if a that holds
0: s- true through the rest of the tournament.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the meta kind of evolves to react to that in a way. Because we've yeah. seen the Vagabond be pretty uncompetitive, to be honest. Like, I came in dead last. And yeah. I think that's like kind of shared across a lot of these games. where the Vagabond is kind of competitive for a minute, and then they just totally plateau, and it's like never a threat again. So... Is that going to change how people police the Vagabond? I'm not sure.
2: I'm looking forward to finding out. I remember feeling like, oh, Kyle's in a great position with the Vagabond at like 15 points. And it kind of felt like it's his game. And then everyone else took a turn and then it stopped feeling like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know what it was. Yeah. There's just like a plateau, a total plateau. Yeah.
1: Uh, Luke, as the Eerie Dynasties, pulled out a clutch win. Uh, just snuck a win out from the Lord of the Hundreds. It's pretty very awesome. nice. Game three on the Autumn map. Had some really good players. Uh, ended up being won by Niko by, uh, piloting the Eerie Dynasties. Uh, we have actually the Corvids and Lizards in that game as well. Lizards being picked a lot in this tournament. You can tell that their uh, setup buff and ad set is kind of contributing to players feeling very comfortable playing Lizards. Yeah. But yes, Eerie Dynasties won two in a row. And Uh, game four in the autumn map, here's a a ranger vagabond game. We had the lizards again, the underground duchy and the eerie dynasties. I think the duchy won this one. Yeah. Demonic as the duchy won that one. Mm -hmm. And actually in that one, the vagabond kind of fell into a little bit of a king making position, bit of an interesting kind of little twist at the end there. All right. And then in game five, uh, Oh, actually a uh, fan of the pod. See coyote won
2: game five. Hey, yeah, I was voting for C coyote from the, ge- yeah, I think C coyote was Lord of hundreds. He right? was the
1: Lord of the hundreds. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Playing on the autumn map again. All right. I guess they're calling it the summer map cause it's the autumn map with randomized clearings. That's right. But yeah, uh, really good games all around. Love, uh, love when a game of route is super competitive, but we're playing with members from our community who are super nice. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Can't wait to continue the the tournament and keep you all informed about <laughs> the state of the meta. <laughs> Great outro Kyle. That was flawless. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But is the Vagabond unplayable now? Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, again, we need more than 5 games to make real determinations, but Kyle has made his. Yeah. pushing his lips and shaking his head.
1: Yeah, vag- Vagabond we can <laughs> to put all that salt away we don't need it
0: anymore you're in the losers bracket now so you got to play again so if you get vag, if you get vagabond as an option are you avoiding them
1: i yeah i'm just gonna flip the table in tts okay
0: cool Uh, (laughs) great choice this is where i'll insert a psa of like hey guys even though you might feel frustrated during a board game it's never an excuse to ruin either a physical space or a theoretical 3d one (laughs) (laughs) so you
1: leave that table intact yeah that's probably fair that's probably fair no i'm definitely um i'm calling my shot now i'm picking corvids <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely
0: i don't want to be what mine's in i think uh like 10 days or something like that and i don't want to be the first one to pick amongst a bunch of powerful things i definitely love being the underdog and i don't want heat early on and i feel like i'm just gonna be the first one to draft and it's gonna be like all right i'm freaking birds <laughs> i
1: mean they're strong they won two
0: games oh hey, I- i'm gonna have fun being i'm gonna have fun no matter what i just i I want to. I want to play one of the unexpected ones. I want to flip the meta. Yeah, not the table.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna keep my eye on the lizards. The lizards have been competitive in all of their games so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm riding the train of. I think
2: lizards are gonna have a nice game. Nice. Lost City
0: makes it a different game.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's like in a them vastly different game. Choosing their initial suited clearing. And being able to draft their hand accordingly, and getting starting acolytes is just like, yeah, they yeah, starting
0: acolytes has really helped.
2: It's so it's so key.
0: Yeah, but we're not talking about the lizards today because we're returning to the versus guides, and we've got some uh, some little terrorists to talk about.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're talking about going against the woodland alliance. So Ooh. everybody, pour yourself a stiff drink. <laughs> Hug your loved ones because we're about to talk about what I consider to be the most irritating and frustrating opponent in all of Root. Really? Yeah. You think they're the most irritating? A hundred percent.
0: Man, that makes me want to play them more.
2: Yeah. Well, we're playing a game... on digital right now where jake's in a terrible spot with the with the
0: i think we've mentioned that because this game lasts a couple of weeks and i think i mentioned on a previous episode <laughs> okay maybe you i mean. really shot myself in the foot and it's just been continually shooting that same foot over and over
2: <laughs> 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 but it's nice now you've got like such a good hole in your foot that now it doesn't hurt to shoot it it's just no, going it's right all, through. it's painless now <laughs> just a
0: painless doom
2: <laughs> yeah so uh, the reason why I think they're so irritating is they take your cards, Absolutely. they blow up your clearings, mm-hmm. mm. and then they score an ungodly amount of points all in one big swing turn. And they do
1: it all while, like, trying to feel superior to you because they've read Bakunin or something. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even down. I don't even know what yeah. <laughs> you're yelling Sorry, about anymore. Up. Look, uh, Put down the Molotov cocktail. We can talk about this. <laughs>
0: We could talk about it while the woodland burns.
1: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh uh, sir, your your beret is on fire.
2: Uh, <laughs> My base, no. <laughs> so I think, like, in order to come out the best of the game against the Woodland Alliance, you're going to need to have patience. You're going to have to be disciplined, and hopefully make them the other player's problem.
1: Mm. Yeah, we'll mm. definitely talk about this. This is a. Um, I'm just going to throw the name out there right away that that I came up with today for this, which is uh, swatting the badminton birdie You're just gonna take an annoying faction and just try and like lob it back over into your (laughs) make it your opponent's problem (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, I mean the main thing with the woodland Alliance is they start slow and invisible Mm -hmm. and then they come out of nowhere and just explode all over the map and game over (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's it (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a faction that you just need to deal with kind of early on and force them through like positioning basically into an unfavorable area. You have to have some real specific like Woodland Alliance goggles on to figure out like what's good for them. Uh, We're going to talk about that today. So when you say like this whole bat the
0: birdie to the other side. We're talking to badminton birdie, but we're talking the birdie is this faction, right? And today's faction is the Woodland Alliance. And so are you saying like, don't let their sympathy be in your realm? Let it be in your opponent's realm. How do you how do you direct that, I guess?
1: Yeah, that's a that's well, we'll we'll get into this a little bit later. But yeah, that is a strategic option, I guess, early in the game before they have a secure base Right. Uh, when it's just, you know, pamphlets and uh, speeches, <laughs> you know, you can just like burn it down and you know, rip up their little yeah. pages. And... It's just one printing press. You can take care of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right, Sam. So g- give us an overview here. What's the uh, threat level for the Woodland Alliance? It's time for threat level. <laughs> wee- 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 wee-
2: wow, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say the Woodland Alliance is threat level orange, or as yeah. me and my l- wife like to say, orange. Um, are you guys okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we keep. We never recovered hit. from the car
1: accident. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, <laughs> I always say like orange juice. I say orange and uh, every other mm. thing, but when it's next to juice, I always say orange juice. Orange juice. Yeah. yeah. Orange it kind of sounds
1: like you're saying ouch, but you're kind of like messing it up. <laughs> ouch. <laughs>
2: um so uh, on on the scale we got green yellow orange and red right (laughs) and i i think we're here at orange because although they can potentially you know blow up our clearings and you know score 12 points in a turn the alliance is orange because there are many ways to challenge their grip on the game When we'll talk about all the different ways to bop them, but I could think of so many and more ways just kept occurring to me. And also they don't have a they seldom will have like a good fighting force on the board. They only have 10 warriors and a lot of them are wrapped up in the officer's box and they need the other ones for protecting their bases or moving and organizing. So it's not like they're going to come in and challenge one of your clearings and, and battle it. As long as you can avoid the revolt, they're not really going to challenge your board position.
1: They're a classic insurgent faction, right? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to control a lot of territory. They're not trying to send a big army over somewhere to like beat up your building. They're, they work a little more subtly than that. They're a little more indirect, I guess, is a good way to put it. They are like the
0: quintessential insurgent faction, not only because they were like the first one in the base game and more so than a whole faction because the Vagabond's such a special case, but like also
1: just how they operate, like physically, (laughs) like they're insurgents. That's all they do is they spread sympathy and then appear. Yeah, (laughs) thematically, (laughs) it works really well. Also, the fact that all their actions take place in evening, like, yeah, it thematically is working really great
2: and it seems like their engine is really like dependent and thrives on the interaction of the other factions. Hmm. Mhm. Like 100%. And and like this faction really sings the song that is the original design of root that is like when left in a power vacuum these rebels will revolt. Yes, yeah. Right.
0: And that's how they that's how they used to operate was like wait for the cats and the birds to destroy themselves or usher it in a little bit yourself right and then go and that's how they win yeah but now it's a lot more complex right
2: yeah there's definitely other other factions and other factors also the lizards you know there's like a whole like meal for them called the lizards where they can just spread sympathy into those clearings and then blow them up while the lizards <laughs> just sit there and like hmm well, have you considered joining the cult? No. Oh, you blew everything up. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not even an acolyte now. <laughs> yeah, that hurts. Yeah. Uh, so how do we feel about threat level orange? You guys agree? I think so, yeah. I think it, once you know how to
1: treat the early stages of uh, a sympathy infestation, once you have like a good handle on how to deal with that, I think they are a bit less... Uh, Overwhelming to deal with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be contrarian. I just don't know if I would give them orange because, like, they're not on the board at first. So you see their plan as it starts to develop. And you might not be able to do anything about it necessarily, but, like, they have to telegraph so many moves ahead of time. When, let's see, when they mobilize, do they have to show the card? They don't have to, do they? It's secret information. So you don't always know their follower content. You can start to kind of guess it based on outrage, but... That's kind of their hidden nature is like the content of their followers. You can see how many, but you can't see what.
1: In some ways, that is like one of the most important pieces of hidden information to keep in mind when you're dealing with the Woodland Alliance. You can kind of roughly calculate if they're going to have a big sympathy spreading turn, but you Mm. will never, ever know specifically what they're going to be capable of. Which, yeah. which makes them a little scary to go against. I think the the fact that supporters are hidden information definitely ups the threat level, in my opinion, because you can't plan for everything.
0: Yeah. They're also, like, I, I find them to be orange once they're at 15 points, I guess, is where I really consider it. <laughs> totally, <their mission>. yeah. <laughs> because... It's, it's hard to stop them through a lot of methods, but battling certainly ain't one of them because of their, uh, what is the name of their ability that lets them take the higher role? Guerrilla War. Yeah. Oh, Guerrilla War. I thought it was just called Obnoxious, but yeah, Guerrilla <laughs> War. <laughs> like, that's, that's really hard to freaking deal with,
2: especially if they have like two warriors in a clearing. Yeah, it's true. I was trying to run the numbers on how many battles it would take on average to take out a base that's guarded by two warriors. And it's like, probably three really I couldn't I couldn't do the math where it made total sense but I'm like it seems like if you get under three battles then you did good you know sure on average you did better
1: at that point you should just build a building stay stick around (laughs) for a while like you know yeah Invite them over for, like, a book club or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, Jake. He said, like, they're orange once they get to 15. For me, it's like they're yellow until they're red, almost. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, that is true. It like, would become a red star. So part, I guess yeah. on average
0: they're I orange. See how you... But, <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I think maybe that's I guess early
0: we... on they're just, I'm paying so much more attention to everybody else, which maybe makes them threat is that they're hiding in the shadows, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Also, losing a base is such a expensive endeavor for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> losing a
2: base is expensive for everybody
1: it is so costly to, to go and ransack a with an alliance base uh kind of no matter what like you yeah. you got to be willing to accept some losses if you're yeah. going to try and take one out or they've gotten like aggressive with spreading sympath
0: uh with organizing or something and left it what they thought was somewhat defended but it wasn't or you know maybe a lizard was able to convert or something or sanctify but yeah. like losing a base that that's, that's the other, that's the only turmoil esque way of like shutting the momentum down. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of this guide is going to focus on prevention, Mm -hmm. which is huge against them. Prevention is probably the name of the game. And then there's like kind of some last ditch things like taking out a base that we might be able to do.
1: Totally. I think it's worth mentioning as well. That one reason why I think their threat level is a bit elevated is because they're such good crafters
2: yeah that's really a
1: good, good crafters, and they can craft early um, yeah. and and flexibly as well, so you just really have to be on your toes with that sympathy because they they spread sympathy and craft on the same turn, so it can be very difficult to like really know what they're going to do ahead of time mm-hmm. um, Very tricky, very tricky. all right, so Sam let's talk about some specifics here. What is the Woodland alliance? need in order to establish themselves and move from a yellow threat all the way to a red
2: yeah they don't need too many things but they need them a lot and one of the things they need a lot is they need to spread their sympathy through connected clearings okay so spreading sympathy is their main engine and they have to spread Uh, to adjacent clearings. So having lots of connected paths in those clearings with sympathy is going to be very important for them. Yeah. That's like the name of the game. Like those big clearings that have four or five paths are the clearings they're looking at to revolt in so that they can have a base in which to spread sympathy out. And the more paths, the better, because then they don't have to keep going deeper into territory. They can just have a, a warrior move from a clearing they rule, which is their base clearing, and then organize in that adjacent clearing. That's kind of the the short of it.
1: And that just makes sense from an efficiency standpoint too, right? Because if it, if a clearing is like well-connected, it's going to be more central. And those central clearings tend to attract other factions who are trying to compete for space and resources on the map as well. So if they got sympathy in the middle of the board... It's likely that someone's going to march into that clearing, or right. battle it, or whatever. Uh, so their positioning is—it tends to kind of gather towards the middle of the board in those well-connected clearings. That's what they want. That's what they need to have the the fastest, most efficient setup. If they're playing well. If, if they're, they're, playing they're not,
0: well. they'll do what I did. I'm just go into weird just right next end. to
2: the keep like get me as close to the keep as yeah, possible. yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> and uh then uh what you need to do is relax
1: because you're fine <laughs> just aim for that hole in your foot
2: <laughs> <laughs> so how do we stop them of uh, through spreading through connected clearings the idea is to corner them right is to is to put them next to the keep, is to keep them from revolting in those big clearings, right?
1: Yeah, you just have to be very sensitive to what counts as a provocative sympathy placement. If the Woodland Alliance gets sympathy just like smack dab in the middle of the map and no one does anything about it and they revolt there, like they're gonna have a great game. Yeah. So it's super important to be sensitive to those like early deployments of sympathy and where it is very pro- provocative. If they've got like a sympathy in a corner and then just along the edge of the board, I mean, that's less of a threat. That's like less of a worry, to be honest. Uh, but if they start out by deploying right in the middle, like you probably should deal with it. <laughs> it's good to push them out of those easy central clearings.
2: Especially when we talk about the auto map, Texas, Kyle, you and your woodland Alliance puzzles and stuff had highlighted how key that clearing is for the Woodland Alliance because it has five paths connected to it.
1: Yeah it just allows you to get out of a jam if you're the Alliance player you know we're we're about to talk about uh, martial law and the kind of importance of stacking up a bunch of warriors around the map but the nice thing about a connected clearing is you know if four out of five adjacent clearings have martial law set up everyone's doing a great job but just one clearing doesn't well, there you go. That's the escape hatch for the Woodland Alliance, and suddenly they're back in the game. Mm-hmm. So trying to force them into less well-connected clearings is going to be an, a, a great way to make sure that they don't become a problem and keep them around that like yellow threat level. Yeah. Uh, and the way to do that is to just destroy sympathy in the middle. That's yeah. kind of the idea.
2: Which kind of is an interesting point to bring up with one of our next needs. The Woodland Alliance needs a steady stream of supporters right? Supporters are the gas in the revolution's engine. Uh, They use them for spreading sympathy and revolting, and the more supporters, the bigger their big come-from-behind swing turn is going to be.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One kind of like fine point to make here is that before they have a base on the map, Woodland Alliance is actually capped at five supporters. Yep. So there are situations early in the game where uh, if they already have five supporters in their stack ready to go, you can actually just, like, run around, walk into the clearings, trigger Outrage, destroy Sympathy at your will. They will never gain more than five supporters. As soon as they get a base on the map, though, that cap is lifted, they can have an unlimited number of supporters. Uh, so be aware that that changes once they get a base. To be clear on this, like, they they just don't... Outrage
0: doesn't trigger or they just can't exceed five followers.
1: Yeah, the outrage still triggers. You would still have to cough up a card. It just wouldn't go into the supporters deck. Instead, it goes straight to the discard pile.
0: Yeah, well, that's still, like, not something to just disregard, though, right? Like, you can't do it freely. You're doing it at the cost of a card.
1: It It is costly, for sure. Yeah, but at least okay. it doesn't also benefit them. Right, right, right. Yeah, they they were still be capped. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, and this faction has such a unique push-pull with the sympathy, right? You want to take it off so that they're not putting in high value sympathy and scoring a bunch of points, but by removing the sympathy, you're giving them the ammo they need to place more high powered sympathy. Right. So in terms of denying them the supporters, obviously avoid moving into sympathetic clearings and don't battle a sympathy without setting up martial law. This is how you beat the system is because when a a faction has three or more warriors in a clearing, it's going to cost the alliance an extra supporter. So if you can give them one supporter, but by making it more expensive for them to replace that sympathy, you can kind of beat the curve of their engine. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the best way to slow down the crazy explosive engine of the alliance is just to set up martial law. Just have three warriors in a clearing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Try and get as many clearings up to that threshold as possible, as quickly as possible, and you will see that they are just struggling to maintain their engine throughout the game. That's all you gotta do.
0: Just set up some martial law. No big deal. Yeah. You yeah. Can do it. Yeah.
1: This will take cooperation. This, is, a, this yeah. is frequently a topic of debate at a root table because the one thing about setting up martial law is that Often that means you're kind of concentrating your forces instead of spreading them out. So for example, a faction like the Lord of the Hundreds is actually incentivized to go and grab more clearings and maybe not get martial law going as quickly, right? Because their engine relies on them like oppressing clearings. So it's it's a funny balance. It's a funny balance. You want to make sure that you're not allowing them to get too many clearings for cheap.
0: Well, the, the the tough part about this is even with some cooperation, you can't cooperate together to make the the warrior count work because the rule is that it has to be three warriors from one player, right? That's yes. correct. So if it's two and one, sympathy can still be spread there just as easily.
2: Yep, exactly. Mm. Yeah, It's it, it is an interesting predicament to get in. Sometimes the cats player... We'll have to use a march action to kind of create martial law in a clearing that feels inefficient or something like that. Early
1: in the game, you will actually see this a bunch. But here's the thing about martial law. Early in the game is when it's the most effective at doing what we said in point number one, pushing them out to the sides. Yeah. If you can set up an early martial law in the middle of the board, the Woodland Alliance is basically going to be forced to spread around the outskirts. Mm. And kind of more than anything else, that early prevention, that early positional play is going to kind of guarantee that that you're going to have a better game with the Alliance. <laughs> 100%.
2: Yeah.
1: It's such an added cost.
0: Like, a whole nother supporter is huge to them.
1: And remember, before they have a base, they have that five supporter cap. Well, mm. they hit that cap
2: really fast if martial law is in place. Yeah. And uh, one more note on on supporters is don't be giving them bird supporters. I mean, if, if you're going to move in and battle and it's going to mean you give them a bird card, even if you're setting up martial law, it's kind of like an, an even trade at that point.
1: Yeah. Birds are valuable supporters for them. Yeah. Extremely valuable supporters. That's basically the, the wiggle room they need to kind of figure a way out around the, uh, locks that you've set up. Mm hmm. All right, but so that's kind of the early game thing, right? Marshall, uh, Marshall applies throughout, but early game you're just trying to like positionally force them out to the sides. Uh, but what happens after they get a base, right? Eventually they're going to get a base down. It's going to be a revolt. They're going to get some guys on the map. They're going to be. They're, they're going to say, "Hey, I've got a printing press. I've got a, <laughs> a daily publication in circulation in the woods."
2: <laughs> We've got an officer. His name is Tom. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, after they revolt, they have a whole nother phase. They finally have an evening phase where they're going to be moving warriors around, removing those warriors to place sympathy there. So that's how they get around this martial law is that they have these warriors kind of go in there and then the warriors become the sympathy they bury themselves and outside and in the their place grows a beautiful <laughs> sympathy tree right is that what's happening you got it exactly
1: right i think you've been That's... reading too much uh, alliance propaganda it's way more grim than that i think
2: <laughs> <laughs> um so the way what they need out of this part of the game is they need to kind of get their warriors in the right positions where they're covering their bases, they get more officers, they'll probably train a- up a couple more officers, maybe get another revolt on, so they have two bases, and they have probably two warriors at each of the bases, and probably five officers, and one warrior that's just kind of floating, right, Kyle? Isn't that kind of the ideal setup here?
1: Yeah, I'd say the magic number they're going for is like about four to five officers, and then if, they've, if they can get two bases, that's usually good for card draws purposes, right. but... Yeah, usually they're going to be working with, if they're on kind of like full engine steam ahead, five warriors on the board, five in the officer's box, and they're just moving
2: and organizing, getting sympathy out on the map. And there's not a lot of flexibility there. Like, Root has uh, small numbers, but no one has smaller numbers than the Woodland Alliance. It's tight.
1: The margins are tight, you know? This is not a money-making operation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so... As a result, they need to optimize their uh, warriors in the best way. So how we can deny them using those warriors in the opposite way is trying to lock away some of those warriors. uh, Lock away their ability to spend them by, like, parking a bunch of warriors on top of where they have warriors. Usually that'll be a base, and you can, like, build on top of the base to add to rule. Because then the Woodland Alliance is going to have to try to over-recruit you or battle you down to where they rule their base clearing and can then move their uh, warriors out to organize.
0: Now, notably, their recruit, battle, and organize actions don't require rule, but move, obviously, does. Right. right? Yeah. So they can still recruit in there to come back from that, but they still got to fight, which is not something they like to do. They like battles to happen on other players'
2: turns. Yeah, percent. just yeah. as advantageous for them to be attacked as to attack.
0: Well... Uh, And arguably a little less so for them to do to attack because they got to spend one of those crucial actions. Well, you you mentioned how tight their economy is, and that's very expensive for them.
1: That's very true. Yeah. If they have to fight their way out of, you know, a big presence of warriors just like camped on their base, that is a terrible drain on the action economy of the Alliance, specifically because it blocks movement, right? Usually the clearing with the base is going to already have sympathy, so there's no point in organizing there. You're just going to want to try and leave and get out on the map, but you can't. There's a bunch of warriors parked. <laughs> fighting your way out of, like, six eerie warriors just feels <laughs> so bad as the alliance. Like, it feels For like sure. it never goes your way. You have to re-recruit those warriors. All of this is taking evening actions. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It can add up really quick and can slow the alliance down pretty significantly.
2: Yep, so that's the needs and the denies for the woodland alliance like i said they don't have a a a terribly long list of needs but they need those needs pretty hard (laughs) (laughs) so shall we get into counter crafting counter crafting counter crafting (laughs) yes let's do it all right so uh in terms of items uh like kyle said earlier The Woodland Alliance are one of the best crafters in the game. And as one of the best crafters in the game, they're bound to craft some items for points. So you should not be holding back any of your crafted items. You know, sometimes we'd advise like, oh, hold on to something for a swing turn or kind of shade your points with an item that you might be able to craft later. When the Woodland Alliance is in the game, that's pretty risky to do.
1: Yeah, it changes the calculus a little bit. I'd say you're going to want to, craft it rather than uh, And now that the Vagabond is so, so gutted, I think it's just fine to craft whatever you feel like at any point. I think that's great. Well, That's
2: just the tournament rules, Kyle. Though I did hear that Cole was the one who insisted that it was Despot Infamy. He's really interested to see how it goes. Wait, really?
0: Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, Garrick
2: was like, I was either way on including Despot Infamy, but Cole told me he really wanted to see how it worked out.
0: Oh, okay. Well, for those of you that feel differently, I'll put Cole's home address in the description of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You guys can revolt there. (laughs) You know what makes them one of the best crafters of the game? We might want to define that so we know how to counter it, right? Is the fact that they can spread sympathy kind of where they need to, depending on the their starting like spots, right? So if they need two rabbit clearings, odds are they can probably get there and then craft in the same turn, right? Exactly. Because they spread their sympathy at their dayl- or in their birdsong, but then they craft during their daylight, which is inverse from a lot of other factions,
1: yeah. right? Yeah, their sympathy is their crafting pieces. They get those out right away in the turn, and uh, so they can they can really surprise the table with some heavy crafting, kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, which is why we're saying, you know, craft early, craft often, um, craft hard. They'll they'll sneak it away from you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You won't see it coming.
2: Wait. (laughs) Clear eyes. Clear eyes. Full heart. Full hearts. Craft craft. often. (laughs) Craft often. Awesome, so that's the items, is just don't hold back. Denying them the item points can be really big in the end because their swing round. Although it'll be a lot of spread and sympathy, moving and organizing usually comes with a couple big craft points as well. So anything we can do to curb that number is key. So let's talk about the crafted improvements that counter the Woodland Alliance. In the base deck, I couldn't come up with a lot, but there are two that are important. Uh those are brutal tactics and armors, brutal tactics for those who are listening at home in battle as attacker may deal an extra hit, but defender scores one point. mm
1: okay, so this is just to overcome guerrilla war, right? And you know those kind of it's tilted against you as the attacker, but this kind of can even the score a bit.
2: I mean, you have a twenty five percent chance of attacking and dealing no hits. And in that instance, it's very likely that you're going to have some casualties. So it's kind of nice to just know, at least I'm taking out one of those dumb warriors, those sly little toasts. I am going to take one down with me, even if I give them a point. Notably,
0: the the art for this card depicts just this. It is an alliance uh, member being taken away by a bird. <laughs>
2: that is true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's such a cute art. Um, and then armorers is a similar idea armorers for those who don't know is in battle may discard this to ignore all rolled hits taken so this is what you do you go in there you battle and then when it doesn't go so well and you're going to take some casualties you discard armorers to kind of give yourself another shot at full strength
0: i always undervalue this card for its crafting ability i always use it as a bird card forgetting that like you can really help your game with having a battle go opposite yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. by not losing things in a battle that's crucial and in, in its timing and it's also so cheap like I, yeah. I need to craft it more for sure
2: i think it is one of my favorite cards in the base deck for sure yeah yeah it's very strong
1: it's very strong this is basically it from the base deck the only other things that Kind of counter the Woodland Alliance are like the favor cards because they can bop sympathy in multiple clearings. But to be honest, they get supporters for all that, yeah, they get supporters for the whole bit. So it's um, it can help them out a lot as well as hurt them. Um, taking out a base with a favor is actually a good idea most of the time Um, because losing those officers is quite painful.
2: How it gets removed though, right.
1: They do, yeah. So they can remove it favorably, which is base first, yeah. then sympathy. Just a reminder to everybody at home, you can choose the order in which you lose your cardboard. Always go base if first. You don't
2: actually have a choice. I believe we did say it was one of the 27 commandments. Of that's root, true, that's true, yeah. Well, if first, you want to avoid so. root hell, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> always lose that base first.
2: All right, so, uh, yeah, I thought about <laughs> Scouting Party, the card that makes you immune to ambush cards. It just, it just doesn't feel worth it. I think these are the only two cards that are really going to help you out against the Woodland Alliance specifically in the base deck.
1: What about Codebreakers? Trying to just get a, um, oh yeah, kind of a view of what their future supporter stack may look like. I mean, that's a little like yeah. nine thousand IQ a little bit, but I would say like <laughs> yeah. if you can use Codebreakers just to see what kind of suit situation or what kind of like bird card situation they're working with, that can maybe help to inform you know, if you have to pick a couple of clearings to do martial law, um, that can maybe help to inform which to focus on.
2: So let's think about the Exiles and Partisans deck. I came up with a few for the Exiles and Partisans deck. The first one is Coffin Makers. Always a good craft. Oh, is this a good card? Yeah, yeah. It turns out it's a really good one Hmm. uh, and with the art, super great. (laughs) But uh, this uh, allows you to lock up warriors from a faction, right? If you remove it on your turn then the Woodland Alliance is not going to have a couple warriors on their turn. And like we said, they only have 10. They might have one to spare. If you have two Woodland Alliance warriors in Coffin Makers, their turn is going to be worse.
1: And <laughs> it just something will. to note as well, there's some kind of combos at the end of a uh, you know successful Woodland Alliance play that involve organizing, which means they take a warrior off the map and return it to their supply. And then they re-recruit that warrior to help defend a base. So they'll often send a guy out on the map. They'll organize and then they'll like re-recruit the same guy at the base. But if they are hitting their warrior cap. And Coffin Makers is not play. Every time they organize that warrior is leaving the map. And going straight to Coffin Makers. There's no way to get that guy back. Until it comes back to your turn. So locking away those Woodland Alliance warriors. Actually can really really do a number on the Alliance in the
2: end game. The next card I got here is a card that's going to be good against all factions, and we're going to talk about it in each one of these guides. It's False Orders. This one feels perfect.
0: Like, this is like, get the base empty, get the sympathy alone, and
2: do your worst.
1: It's the base
2: slayer! (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know, False Orders is, in birdsong, may discard this card to move half of an enemy's warriors rounded up from any clearing as if you were that player ignoring rule. So this is, yeah, this is how we move a couple of those warriors out there to make the base just a little bit more vulnerable. But Sam, there are only two warriors there. Should I use this great card just to move one warrior? Absolutely. Probably. Probably. It helps a lot.
1: It helps a lot. There's also, like,
0: not the rare occurrence where there's just one warrior, and rounded up means all warriors in that case. Because if they get ambitious (laughs) with an organized, then all you got to do is disc, uh is use false orders and then suddenly it's a free base and sympathy.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, that's the dream scenario for sure. That's just juicy cardboard.
0: Yeah, it's not out of reach. It's very possible in the mm-hmm. in those games.
2: This is another um bash up the base card is partisans, right? Uh the extra hits are really going to make the difference. Partisans for those of you who, you know, you just hear these cards we say I want to tell you what it is. It goes like this in battle and mouse clearings may deal one extra hit, then discard all your cards, except mice. And of course there's a uh, rabbit partisans and a Fox partisans. So you just replace mouse with Fox or rabbit. So yeah, this is just a way to deal an extra hit And when we're going against the Woodland Alliance and we're barely scoring any hits because we're taking the lower die, that can really make the difference.
1: Preach, Sam. This is one way to overcome (laughs) guerrilla war. I love it. Partisans are also helpful, too, because when you're going up against just a base and a sympathy, no warriors, Sometimes you still get that zero roll because of guerrilla war and you only deal one undefended hit. And that can be just so depressing when the alliance is like, oh, you don't have any more battles. Great. Well, I'm just going to lose the sympathy and keep my base. <laughs> you did so much work to get it Like isolated. Partisans just kind of guarantees that you're going to be OK. It's uh, It reminds me of brutal tactics, right? Just dealing an extra hit in a battle. Um, so, yeah, just something to be aware of. Um, Partisans has a bit of a funny interaction with like sympathy, right? Because you're discarding all the cards that are not in the same suit, if you use partisans to hit a warrior and a sympathy, for example, you would end up discarding all the cards, including bird cards, that are not in the same suit, and then handing over a card of the same suit to the Withan Alliance. So you could really uh, vacate your entire hand if you're not careful. Wait, but the wouldn't that match the clearing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The what cards I'm saying you
0: discard would match the clearing that you'd have to give it to it, right?
1: Yeah, partisans, you get to keep all the cards that are the same suit as the clear. Oh, you get to keep, right, right, right. But then sympathy would take one of those cards away. I have it reversed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you got to be a little careful with the partisans if you're going to hit sympathy with it.
2: Another great card to craft might be Mirene Broker. This card's so good. It is so good. And let's explain why it's so good. It's because whenever another player crafts an item, you draw a card. Wow.
1: Like we said, with an alliance gonna craft uh might as well hit your wagon to their crafting machine Mm -hmm. and um let those little little woodland critters help your card economy because they they are so good at taking cards away you might (laughs) as well get a card from them now and then
2: (laughs) i was gonna say this can just like offset the outrage right like you can (laughs) just get some cards that like you're gonna have to give them anyway you know it might might work out yeah and then the last one is uh, I think the the first true hate craft of these versus guides, which is Corvid planners. Oh, okay? There's only one Corvid planners. So if you craft it, they don't have it. That <laughs> is why you would craft Corvid planners against the Woodland Alliance. It's a decent card anyway for any faction you can move regardless of rule. That's great. But the Woodland Alliance, it, with, when they have it, it's it's basically cheating. They just are a, a, a faction without a rule. Yeah.
1: They become hard to stop. Why? Well, I mean,
0: what is it about this? So, I mean, it, as we discussed earlier in their evening actions, only one of them requires rule, which is move. Right? right. And they're generally moving from a base that they probably are dominant in, right?
1: Right. Sorry, This rule. one craft allows them to circumvent one of the main strategies of slowing down the woodland alliance once mm-hmm. they have a base in the map which is mm-hmm. namely camping a bunch of warriors on top of them forcing them to either super duper recruit or fight their way out tooth and claw with corvid planners crafted the alliance can just mosey on out of their base without a care in the world they move like like corvids i guess at that point they can just run anywhere they want to and organize. And put uh, their
0: sympathy around, and which is also going to cause outrage as you try to reorganize and get back in there, right?
1: Exactly. It just makes them incredibly efficient, and it totally removes one avenue of suppression.
0: So, well, that's the thing, then. This isn't counter-crafting. This is counter-counter-crafting, isn't it? Because Corvid Planners is for them to counter your right. counter. Yeah,
1: you're just so removing uh, their, like... God mode (laughs) ability.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And like think about it. like When they're moving from their base, even if you're not parked on top of them, if they move from their base, usually they're moving one clearing because they're not going to then rule the clearing they're moving to. Right. But with Corvid Planners, they could send a warrior deep into territory and then organize there. And now they have so much more adjacency to spread for their next turn.
1: Yeah, they can seed a faraway clearing, and then and then it's kind of like they've got two different little networks going, oh no. and that can be extremely hard and frustrating to stop.
0: Okay, don't mention that in a game with an alliance. Got it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, So, yeah. Uh, saboteurs, you can craft saboteurs just in case they get Corvid planners. That's why I put them on the same line there.
1: I want to throw another card out here, and yeah. uh, I think I think I want to throw a Propaganda Bureau out there.
2: All right, which, tell us what Propaganda Bureau does.
1: Propaganda Bureau says, once in daylight, may spend a matching card to replace one uh, enemy warrior with a warrior of your own. Ooh. Oh, you're right. You're right. That that's is a, a great, great card. card. Yeah. Because the Woodland Alliance tends to have a pretty low warrior count at a base, or for example, just replacing one of them can really turn uh, the tide, really tip the scales in your favor. Uh, so, yeah. It costs a card. You know you're going to be spending that card in outrage anyway, so might as well use it for propaganda bureau.
0: You might be setting up uh, another player to come in and false orders them or something else to like lower that warrior count too, if it's combo to someone else.
1: Yeah, this can be a really nice late game uh, desperation. Let's stop the alliance before they run the table.
0: Right.
2: Kind of, kind of play.
0: So seeing how Alliance aren't great at ruling other clearings, I mean, I think we all agree that rabbit dominance is another great option, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, there's rabbits in the Alliance. Why wouldn't they be good at rabbit dominance? Right, they'd be even sympathetic to the idea, right? <laughs> I've got sort of, I, like, sympathy for Europe. dominance!
1: Oh my god. Um, the thing is, is you could probably pull a dominance against the Alliance pretty easy, because mm-hmm. how are they going to stop you? They aren't. They're,
2: they're going to talk somebody else
1: into doing it. Yes. <laughs> they're just going to win. craft yeah. their way across the finish line.
2: Yeah, you going for dominance is the best thing that ever happened to the Woodland Alliance.
1: Great. You don't care about planes? We don't care about you. (laughs) Let's do it. All right, Sam, I want to know. How do I know if I've got a Woodland Alliance problem?
2: Well, you might have a Woodland Alliance problem if they have two bases down, And have four or more sympathetic clearings. Oh my
1: goodness. I mean, you said that and I just cringed visibly and audibly and in my soul.
0: Yeah. You can start cleaning up the dishes and start going, getting ready to put the game away because the (laughs) Alliance have got this one tied down.
2: Yeah. I didn't even mention an amount of points and both of you, I just, it's like I showed you the film Poltergeist. Your your (laughs) face is totally changed
1: i've just got a permanent grimace now no uh when they get two bases and have more than four sympathetic clearings i mean it's just really hard to not cough up a bunch of supporters to them kind of no matter what you do and they're drawing a bunch of cards every turn they're going to be crafting all over the place it's i mean that's a real infestation you got right there there's
0: no placement of those sympathies that's good for you either, right? Because if they're off by themselves where you won't trigger outrage, well, they're off by themselves and they can do
1: what they want. Yeah, they're also adjacent they, to clearings and are ready. Right, exactly.
0: They have that diversity. And then if they're in the midst of your stuff, well, it's outrage city. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. That can be that can be tough to come back from. You want to prevent that scenario, if at all possible. But
0: so what do we do? Do we cut the power in the building or like what? How do we? Yeah, you well,
1: say, hey, look, there's a book about Bakunin. And then you quickly just like take a bunch of bases off the map, and put them back in the box.
0: <laughs> what if this podcast suddenly turned us into just suggestions for how to cheat?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the third round of guides is how, this to, is cheat how to remove against... pieces yeah. without other players noticing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like I like to have my friend make a lot of phone calls to my <laughs> friends. So they're always looking at their phones. Yeah, you always want an accomplice. Accomplice guides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Complicated series of tiny mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you guys, you might have a Woodland Alliance problem if they have crafted Corvid planners. Or <laughs> to a lesser extent, if you're playing with the base deck, cobbler cobbler is at the start of evening they may take a move well guess what they move in the evening so that's basically a whole nother evening action it's like they have an additional officer provided they use that officer for move so uh that's a good craft for them as well if they have either of those crafted (laughs) yeah you're gonna be
1: you're gonna want to be on alert if you hear the words corvid planners come out of the within alliance players mouth Mm -hmm. um just yeah, just like we mentioned, be aware that unlocks their kind of like god mode ability. They can just skitter around the woodland, spreading sympathy willy-nilly.
2: Skitter like critters. <laughs> if the woodland alliance has seventeen or more points and or has a fat stack of supporters, <laughs> you might have yeah. a woodland alliance problem. For sure. I mean, the
1: Woodland Alliance is one of those factions that, like, when it hits a certain point threshold, you just are looking at them, like, every single turn, and you're like, are you just going to straight up win? Like, you are now at a point—I think 17 is a good threshold. I, My personal threshold is 15 points. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, 17 is definitely a safe threshold to, to have as well. But, like, when they hit that kind of mid-teens, late-teens kind of point-scoring range, be aware— they could just pop a win. It yeah. is not unheard of for the Woodland Knights to score 12 to 15 points in one turn. Like, they can do it. Uh, you Treat have them to. with
2: caution. Yeah, you have to be paying attention to what they are capable of at that point. You have to, if they have that many points, you have to look at that supporter stack and be like, how fat is that stack? Is it fat? Because then we got a problem. <laughs>
0: How common is it for them to score 15 points? Because I've heard both of you reference some high numbers in a lot of these cases. And I think I think I have a bias towards not being as scared uh, in the teens of other factions. I tend to get more scared in the 20s. But I know you guys have played a lot more than me. And I'm just wondering if the outliers are sticking in your head more. So is it really common to see a
1: lot of double digit plays in these cases? I would say, well, first of all, kind of, it kind of depends on the crafting situation. Yeah. A little mm-hmm. bit um if there's a bunch of items just like up for grabs still that's i'm i'm like really really more worried if those are available. yeah the potential's up right especially if they're crafting pieces out which they always are because they're sympathy mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent kind of their board position as well like if they've mm-hmm. got a central base and they're you know like at 17 points it's really hard to to predict everything that they can do and to like really understand their full range Especially without being able to see those supporters, so there's there's some situations where kind of no matter what you do, they're gonna just spread sympathy one way or another and and score like twelve points like I guess the reason I'm differentiating here is like it's not
0: that they're are they gonna score twelve points or are they gonna score? seven or eight which is enough and puts them in a nice position to have no problem on the following turn so you have to still deal with it now even though it's two turns before their victory more often
1: it's it's uh yeah it's about seven or eight points that puts them in a winning position where there's just no no sweat like they can do it easily
0: yeah, I just don't want people to be like, "Oh, I don't have to worry about them at their because they're at fifteen because they can't get fifteen more points." It's like, no, worry about them at the because they're at fifteen because they could get eight more points and that puts them in a great spot on their next turn.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I, yeah, okay. I've I've seen it. I think I think when you do the things like setting up martial law and clearings and really limiting their. Hold on, my wife's getting some chips. What flavor? Tortilla. All and right, they were um, in the office, right? Yeah, we're in the office. Yeah. yeah, I I left the chips in the office, like as cool. you do. Yeah, you know, no, I get it. That's that's the whole family supply of chips I was hoarding. <laughs> uh so what was I saying? Uh, your wife was starving. Yeah, yeah, something about my <laughs> wife being malnourished. You're talking.
0: We we're talking about 15 points. We're talking about the end game. We're talking about alliance oh, scoring.
2: I think it's. I think Jake. I used to see the 12 point swings a lot more often. But when you do the things like setting up martial law or uh, kind of camping on their bases or whatever, that limits their big point-swing potential.
0: Does it? Martial law is not stopping organize, because organize is what they're point-swinging with, probably, right? Right, but it is preventing multiple sympathy spreads. Sure. I guess it's it's preventing the combo. Right. Because
2: that's what happens. They spread at the beginning and at the end of their turn, and that's why you can get these big things. And they craft in the middle, so it could be just like a whole thing.
1: Yeah, so this may be like a cautionary um bit of advice, just like, if the Alliance is in that kind of magic range, be aware if you're going to spread yourself real thin, like, you better win. I think Jake
2: might be right, though. We might have, like, an old person idea of Root, Kyle. We might be like, I remember when the Alliance used to score 12 points and the Vagabond was the best faction, and now everything's different i'm not sure how much has changed so
0: much as like i think you tend to remember those moments and those stick out to you whereas they're
1: not uh they are outliers on the on the scale right yeah they can do it but Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen frequently in high level play as much right um also different maps can can really inhibit the growth of the woodland alliance as well so those like really insane double digit plays are much less likely on like winter map for example
2: yeah, I, I almost cynically put in on this next section of how to check the Woodland Alliance's play on the Mountain map, um, but I decided not to include it. Uh, the last thing uh, you might have a problem if you if the Woodland Alliance where well, you might have a problem if <laughs> if the army factions at the table have exhausted themselves fighting each other, like we talked about earlier in the episode, the Woodland Alliance is the power vacuum thriving insurgent faction
1: a hundred percent in fact i think i see woodland alliance wins in board states where the two army factions have like really clashed and left kind of a bunch of random buildings and like teeny tiny outcroppings of warriors littered around the map but no martial law just the numbers aren't high enough or they've concentrated their forces too much We've got a couple really, really solid clearings, and then everything else is under-defended. Uh, in that type of environment, the Woodland Alliance will spread very, very easily. Like a virus.
0: Like a virus.
1: Um, <laughs> 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 I don't know what this like thing with my voice I'm doing today is, but it's fun.
2: Let's talk about how to check the Woodland Alliance, how to take these terrorists down a peg, all right? Martial law is our friend. We've been talking about it all episode. Probably the most effective and easiest way of dealing with the toast is to set up martial law in every clearing you can.
1: Yeah, you don't have to fight. You don't have to do anything. You just got to exist with three warriors. That's yeah. it. It's just a passive way to like completely sandbag somebody else's engine. It's fantastic.
2: Just you yeah. should do it. I, honestly, if it's done aggressively and consistently throughout the whole game, the Woodland Alliance is going to have a very difficult time ramping up their engine in time to win. Yeah, I'm not going
1: to say no chance, but a very small chance. Exactly.
2: Like if everyone commits to it, it is like when you freeze out the otters a little bit Mm where it's like they could still have something. But this faction, like the otters, is very reliant on interaction. And if you can slow down all of that, you got a good shot at them not being able to do it in time. All right. Great. We've been talking about Marshall also. We don't need to harp on it. Let's talk about the thing that totally sucks when you have to destroy a base. So when you destroy a base from the Woodland Alliance, they lose half of the officers rounded up in their officers box, which it can be very good for limiting their evening actions and their ability to move and organize. As well as they lose all of the matching supporters that match that base, including bird cards. That's pretty huge. It is. It, yeah. I think, Jake, you were saying it's as close to turmoiling them as we're going to get. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's true. It can really set them back. And, like, if they're about to win, you might be able to save yourself. You know, there's times where it's too late. And even by destroying a base and limiting their supporters, they can still eke out six or seven points at the end. But if you have to take your shot, the best thing you can do to really limit them is to destroy a base. Yeah. But like we said, they take the higher die when you attack them.
1: This could be especially depressing with if you like remove the last warrior that's defending the base and then initiate another battle and roll a zero. Oh. And you just take out the sympathy
2: next to the base. It's just like
1: I was so close. <laughs>
2: Oh, it makes me so upset thinking about attacking them. (laughs) And it hurts, you know, like you will, you will go in there with a stack of five warriors against two and you will not accomplish what you think you're going to accomplish. (laughs) Yeah. Without any like crafted improvements, you know, going up against two Alliance warriors is you're looking at like three battles, in order to take out the base
0: no but you're looking you're not looking at three battles necessarily for yourself this is where table talk's important right you have to highlight the threat to the other players at the table you have to let them take one of those battles for you and uh you you can't like you you, you don't have the economy to stop them unless you are the lords of the lord of the hundreds or something right like you have to you don't want to spend all of your actions just shutting down one faction because the other faction is going to win you're right is that fair
1: yeah. totally fair totally fair Sometimes you you have to soften them up um, and let somebody else finish it off. But yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, destroying a base is the only effective means of keeping them from just clutching a victory. So uh, be be aware of that possibility in your games. I mean, once they have a base on the map, it tends to stay put. And I mean, obviously until it's destroyed, but uh it may want to... Get martial law going in the surrounding clearings. May want to have some mobility nearby so that if it becomes an issue, you can just like access it, uh, maintain access. I guess it would be my positional advice there. Great. Let's talk about the strategy, Sam. This is something I've suggested for the Woodland Alliance before, and this is I've seen this be effective to the point of being like basically cruel to one person at the table. Uh huh. And um, while I don't encourage anyone to play in an unsportsmanlike manner, Um, I think it would be remiss of us to overlook this as a strategic play, because I think it's valid, even if it's a little mean.
2: Yeah, Um, I I debated not including it, and then I thought, no, you know what? This happens enough in games where we should be defining it and talking about it. What is it, guys? What is it? This is the
1: complete shutdown approach to the Woodland Alliance. This is a valid strategic method of making sure that they never become a problem. Um, and what this involves is deleting all their sympathy off the map every turn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. This is almost impossible to do as one individual faction. Right. This is pretty tough to do as an individual faction. This does require table cooperation, which is kind of why it feels so mean. Because it's like three other factions basically like teaming up on somebody early in the game to lock them out of a victory. Here's how you do it. They spread sympathy on their first turn. You talk to the table and say, let's kill it all. You remove it all from the map. They get a couple supporters. They're probably at their cap of five. Right. They use those five supporters, maybe have a couple left over. They spread sympathy again. You just rinse and repeat for, like, three turns. At that point, even if they get a base on, like, turn four or five, it's kind of too late. Yeah. Like, it's almost too late for them to, like, realistically keep up in the points race. They kind of can, depending on some crafting stuff. I've I've seen that happen before, where, like, you think you've shut them down and you really haven't. Um, But this is a way to do it. I, I will say, though, this tends to have the effect of causing one faction to do the homework and kill all the sympathy for like, what, like one or two points a turn, spending okay. their valuable actions, while leaving one or possibly two other factions to simply develop for free. <laughs> Keep all their cards, not pay any outrage... Uh, just, you know, expand out on the map without being slowed down at all. And yeah, sure, you might be scoring a couple of points, but you're coughing up cards and allowing the other factions to grow pretty hard. So I, I tend to think of it as like one of those weird self-balancing things in Root. Like if you're the Vagabond, you take out the keep on turn one and then the cats just like revenge attack you for the rest of the game. <laughs> it's like if you decide to like hardcore focus down one faction early in the game, that has repercussions of allowing the other players at the table to kind of grow for free. Mm-hmm. So be a bit cautious with this strategy. Um, I would say the best version that I've seen is when the table works together on turn one to wipe the sympathy. And then after that, it's kind of like fair game. Right. Just like we've we've prevented it for one turn. And now we're going to focus on doing our own thing.
2: Yeah, I think that's good. And I think for newer players, it seems like a good idea, right? Like you get points for destroying the sympathy and they won't revolt or whatever. But you're losing a lot of cards over the course of the game. Um, And I see see cats players are probably the ones who can afford to lose the cards, but not the actions. Like there's no faction that's like actually equipped to do this even lord of the hundreds with all their battle actions they are one of the most card poor factions in the game and the idea of losing all of your cards every turn is a terrible idea it's just so expensive you yeah. can't build you can't craft you can't other things they need cards for that i <laughs> am not that familiar with
1: yeah and meanwhile somebody else at the table has all of their cards and is just like going about their day, like, building up and and looking amazing. So, like, be sensible about using this strategy. On its own, in isolation, this is effective at preventing the Woodland Alliance from ever becoming an issue in the game. Like, Mm -hmm. they can kind of spread sympathy for a couple of turns, but they'll kind of plateau around 11 points by the time everyone else is in the 20s. So that's the complete shutdown. Not really recommending that in a, like really strict way, but it can be effective at delaying
2: their engine. Uh, Let's talk about probably the best thing to do in the mid game to stop them because prevention is key. But once the little mouse terrorist is out of the bottle, we've got to do something to contain them. And the best thing to do is to build on top of them.
1: That's right. Once they have a base, hopefully that base is on the edge of the map because you've done a good job of removing all sympathy that is provocatively placed in the middle. Once they get that base, just stack a bunch of warriors on top of it. Why not? Throw a building down. Join them in the party. They are going to have so much trouble getting out onto the map from there. We talked about this. Camp out on them. Force them to fight you to leave.
2: One of the best parts is if they have a base there, they can't revolt there. They've already revolted in that suit, and it's there. So you are 100% safe from their big, scary bomb.
1: I've seen this work with like cats building a recruiter, eerie dropping a roost. Mm -hmm. This probably would work with like a stronghold or something. Like anytime you can like recruit to the clearing that has the within Alliance base. That is just, is so annoying to play against. If you're as an Alliance player, it's super annoying. If you can recruit there. Um, So yeah, let's say build on top of them is a really, really easy and effective way to uh, slow them down in the mid game. Once they have that base going,
2: it is probably going to cost you those things right because the alliance really has no other choice but to recruit and battle you there
1: yeah they'll eventually take you out there so don't make it your main right deal but like they're incentivized to to fight their way
2: out right? right even just like one turn of them not being able to do anything during the evening especially once they're like hoping to turn their engine online with their moving and organizing this is just gonna really push them back
1: the margins are thin in the alliance
2: (laughs) yeah very thin like stupid thin like
0: you can it's easier to count their numbers right because there's 10 that's all it is (laughs) like that's that's i think uh we talk about how low these numbers are in root but it's easy to lose track of stuff because there's also so much happening but with the alliance the arithmetic is super easy Mm -hmm. and if coffin makers are out or if some insane reason they bought something from the otters like the fractions just get even easier to deal with exactly
1: Let's talk about this last one. This I like this one a lot. This is the freeze them out approach.
2: Yeah, this is ten, tends to be what I like to do against the Alliance. I, I think it kind of goes in hand-in-hand in hand with the martial law of making sure you always have martial law. But a decent counter to the Woodland Alliance engine is to starve them of supporters. Yeah. So if you're really strict about never moving into a sympathetic clearing and not removing any sympathy tokens and you set up martial law in addition to this it can make sure that those green mice have a very slow start to their big old snowball.
1: This can o- almost be more effective than a complete shutdown in some yep. ways. Cause the the thing is that the, the Alliance requires interaction. Mm-hmm. They need that kind of like friction of the, the other factions like bumping into sympathy, um, fighting sympathy, interacting with it in some way to keep that supporter flow churning mm-hmm. without that. I mean, they're literally just relying on card draw yeah. and adding, they're mobilizing one card per yeah. turn.
0: They're not, they don't have enough cards to really do that in the beginning. And if they do, they still got to get lucky with suits to make it work.
1: Yeah. This is the thing. If they don't have a base by turn two or three, then they're just top decking one supporter yeah. in their hand per turn. And that is, I mean, it's just too slow. It's too yeah. slow for them.
2: Uh, can you guys remember? We were playing a game. Uh, somebody was the alliance, and instead of mobilizing cards, I can't remember. Someone tells me it was Josh or something. Instead of mobilizing cards, they were able to craft coins twice, and they got a bunch of points right away. But then their engine never got online. And sounds that sounds familiar. Yeah, and we're all like, it's crazy that what you should have done is not craft those two coins. Right. Like that was like your big mistake was like doing the thing that you always hope to do in Root, which is craft coins.
1: It's so weird. It's so counterintuitive. But yeah, the supporters are kind of more important. Like it's yep. going to get you more points in the long run to be able to spread sympathy and
2: revolt. Yep. All right. We got it's time for our special team segment. Woo, whistle. Nice, nice whistle, Sam. Call yeah. <laughs> them the special
1: team. Hike. <laughs> 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 Oh my god. We just need to have like a like a sound a panel board. of buttons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um all right, special teams for the Woodland Alliance. I got three things here that we should um keep in mind. One is what I like to call Magic Christmas Land Revolts. hmm This is one of those things that's like written real tiny on the faction board and so it's easy to forget about. But this actually did come up in my tournament game. Mm. This did come up in my tournament game, and it kinda changed what I was gonna do on my turn because I realized That the Alliance was in an amazing position to have an insane Magic Christmas Land revolt. A Magic Christmas Land revolt that I never actually have seen in real life. I I prevented it, but let's talk about it. So, the Woodland Alliance loves to revolt when it has two or more matching sympathetic clearings. Alright? They get their base on the map. They get their officer in the officer's box. But they get an extra warrior... Uh, Starting on that base for free with each matching clearing that they have sympathy in.
2: Do they also get an extra officer?
1: No, they only get one officer, but the warrior that starts at the base, they just like add to that. Oh, cool. So in my game, there was, I think, three rabbit clearings that all had sympathy in them. I was like, oh, the alliance player is going to revolt and they're going to start with three warriors at the base (laughs) on turn two. I'm just like, that is... I can't let that happen. I cannot allow that to happen. That is too good. That's like amazing. Uh, So anyway, I call that a magic Christmas land revolt because you just basically get a turn ahead. Yeah. By getting an additional warrior to start out. Um, It means you can potentially move and organize on your first turn with a base, which is quite rare.
2: Yeah, because usually that first turn is them, like, training and recruiting to make sure that that base stays defended. They recruit twice, usually, or something, to be able to hold it. But, yeah, if they already have the warriors at the base, what stops them from moving and organizing this turn instead of next turn?
1: Yeah, so basically they can get, I, I, said, I have here that they can get a full turn ahead of the table. I mean, it's probably not a full turn, but they get a jump start on their engine that is r- super valuable. Like, that tempo is incredibly valuable early in the game uh so the solution there is to just pay attention if they got a bunch of matching sympathy uh you're gonna want to squash that you're Mm -hmm. gonna want to squash that i'm so glad we didn't see it in my game i would have been super depressed if i had overlooked (laughs) the potential magic christmas land revolt there i think uh sp shaman who played the alliance had actually kind of overlooked that that option as well but as (laughs) on my turn i was like Hey, wait a second. <laughs> You've got three matching clearings with sympathy. This is going to be too nuts. Was All one right. of those um, Lost City? Uh, no, we were on the winter map. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. But the Alliance lo- did craft boat builders on their first turn. And one of the sympathetic clearings was on the river. So I was like, oh, well, they're just going to spread everywhere right away. That's like too good. <laughs> And starting on a largely empty map, I was like, this is, all signs are pointing in the wrong direction if we allow this. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Special teams number two. This is called Swatting the Badminton Birdie. I just made that name up. I think it's, you know, we'll see. But yeah, the basic idea here is uh, sometimes there's going to be sympathy on the map and some of it's going to be kind of in your part of the map and some of it's going to be in your opponent's part of the map. And there's a little like, kind of a petty trick that you can do here which is just destroy a sympathy in your own area or walk into a sympathy kind of unnecessarily so that you can give the Woodland Alliance a supporter, Mm -hmm. uh, basically in exchange for them revolting in your opponent's area. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if the Alliance has done a good job of spreading kind of centrally and they've got, you know, an iron in every fire, um, sometimes you'll see players kind of like chip away at the sympathy only to the extent that they put, make the problem happen somewhere else. This is kind of big brain to be able to pull
0: this off. But like if you yeah, if you ensure that they can do what they need to, because they they don't want to spend a turn not revolting. Right, right. So they're going to take it where they can. They probably wanted to revolt where you were for sure. You, yeah. It was juicy. It was juicy and they were going to get points <laughs> and you were going to lose them. It was going to be awful. But if you force them to do it by giving them enough warriors or enough support enough supporters to do it in another place thumbs up I love that
2: yeah yeah. it can also happen where like let's say it's birds versus cats and they each have a, a clearing with sympathy in it, and it's both rabbit then you can attack right. the rabbit one knowing you're giving your them a rabbit supporter to revolt in your opponent's rabbit right. clearing yeah right this works best when you can
1: control like what suit you're giving to them yeah um and you give them something valuable on purpose um, I, I think this is less effective if you're just coughing up a bunch of bird cards because mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of is too flexible and uh, allows them to grow uh, kind of a lot. So be a bit careful with this strategy, but I, I do see this happen in games, so I wanted to call it out. Uh, this is a strategy that's pretty effective, too, because if you, the alliance is in somebody else's area, they are going to be the ones most likely having to put up with the outrage and the warriors moving around and trying to camp on that base. It's not going to be your problem as much.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, love
1: fine it. way to put pressure on your opponents. I love mm. it. Swatting the um, mitten birdie. Swatting that bad badminton birdie. All right. Last special teams here. Jake, you mentioned it before, but that's river folk funds. If the right. Alliance player is crazy enough to spend their limited warrior supply on a river folk service, say they're buying Corvid planners or something from the river folk. What do you do if you're the river folk? You don't
0: laugh too loud because that's going <laughs> to give it away. If you start laughing maniacally, they're going to know something's wrong. They're yeah. going to know that they've got a problem.
2: Yeah, I think you got one turn max of being like, oh wait, no, no, I can't spend them this turn. Look, I got you next turn. You got one turn of that before they realize that you're never giving them back.
1: Yeah, those are staying put for <laughs> forever. <laughs> Yeah, you you might get them back at the end of the game when the Riverfolk is winning.
2: As the Riverfolk, I wouldn't push it. I would never be like, you should definitely buy from me. You know, um, yeah. I might say it as a joke, but uh, if they ever do, I you just teach them the lesson of never do that.
1: Because it's I think <laughs> it's a pretty accepted piece of root wisdom that the Woodland Alliance shouldn't buy from the Riverfolk because yeah. that you're just putting yourself too much at risk by doing that. You know, you're. Entire force is ten guys. <laughs> Each guy you spend is ten percent of your force. Like that's insane. Yeah. To put that type of power in somebody else's hands. Yeah, you're uh, generally
0: not buying cards for one of those two. So right.
1: it's <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, is this card ten percent of your scoring potential? Yeah. Like <laughs> usually not.
2: If it's um, coins, it would be.
1: Yeah, but you're not going to spend one meepo for coins. You're going to spend two <laughs> meepos for coins, and coins isn't twenty percent of your scoring. Anyway, it's fine. I think. I think also, if you are Riverfolk, like you don't. When we say you
0: never will give it up, like again, board state's always important, right? And also, is like if you're only holding on to one of them, like if they manage to buy a service for only one of them, you also aren't hamstringing them so much that you need to stop your game to like. You holding on to that one guy isn't necessarily going to change everything.
1: Yeah. I think you can just rest a little easier as the river folk, knowing that the Alliance is going to have a slightly less optimal game.
0: Knowing you have their son in a dungeon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, he's just helping out around the shop. Be fair. They sold you their son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They exchanged their son for that (laughs) bank.
1: That's a good point.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, in conclusion. Annoying. Uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> irritating. Um, so prickly. I, I really feel like they should have been the porcupine faction. Honestly. Ooh. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really mm. good point. So the Woodland Alliance is the explode out of nowhere faction. So handle them like you would any homemade bomb. Diffuse it early. Don't leave it unattended. And please, for the love of all things that are good and holy, never let it go off in Texas.
1: <laughs> <Not> <laughs> sweet Texas. In Texas. no 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 um yeah that i uh i wish everyone out there good luck in dealing with the alliance they're one of the toughest toughest factions to fight against but just if not if you take nothing else away from this podcast learn the term martial law please <laughs> yeah. Please
0: I'm kind of surprised you guys regard them as so tough are you regarding them so tough from uh, the aspect of the average player or from yourselves because I feel like again they telegraph so much early on
1: you would think so I mean to be honest it is easy to deal with the alliance except you're only one player. Right. And it yes. does take the, you know, one player dropping the ball a little bit is going to give them enough breathing room to like make sure. a resurgence. Yeah. Sure. So it's, that's why it's frustrating to play against them because it requires such a like balance at the table. Yeah.
0: Especially with outrage as a game effect, right? Because mm-hmm. the, you, you, the other two factions blundering around, those bozos, <laughs> they're giving the alliance everything they need. They yeah. didn't listen to this podcast like you did.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes you can't help it. I mean, another good example is in, in the tournament game that I played, the, uh, the Eerie player yeah. got suit-locked a little bit, yeah. and they, they didn't draw the right suit for move, and so they had to keep moving yeah, b- through Birds, birds bird. got a clearing, mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. revved up the alliance. I mean, there wasn't anything they could really do about no, it. No,
0: they don't want a turmoil, and they don't mind powering the alliance. I mean, they do mind, but that's the price they'll pay.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah.
1: they just kind of have to, you know? So it, it was one of those things where, like, we were all... Doing okay, but you know, one player who's having a slightly challenging decree moment is gonna like like let the lid come off of this thing. So that's why I say it's a little frustrating to play against or a little bit annoying. Is like
0: I'm eager to see a win of theirs in the tournament too. I think it's gonna happen. Actually,
1: me too. Yeah, it, players have done a good job so far of suppressing them, and and they don't function as well on the expansion maps. uh yeah. but I still think they're a threat. I, yeah. I think they're always contenders for sure.
2: Yeah, Great. I, uh, one of the things we said at the beginning of this guide was you have to be disciplined. And I think that's the idea is like, you have to set up martial law. You can't just go trouncing in these clearings. Like that is when you give them the power. If you can stay disciplined, yeah. Then the Woodland Alliance isn't going to be so bad. And you can take that orange and put it down <laughs> to a yellow. Are we going to go, are we playing a game tonight? What are we doing tonight? Yeah, we are. Um, but first I have a game that you guys are going to play. Welcome to Root Purdy. Do, 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 Yay! do. Yay! Do, 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 Where do, do these cameras come from? Oh, yeah, that's right. Whoa, uh, a all studio right. audience? You guys, Holy shit. You guys will have five categories to choose from. There are three questions in each category in ascending difficulty. Okay, oh, the first geez. one in the category is worth one, second one in the category is worth three, and the uh, last question every category is worth five the categories are deck seeing for the first time the letter c in quotation marks meaning every answer will start with the letter c math is a bit of a reach birdsong daylight and or evening or lizzie afternoon jake we start with you which category would you like and what level of difficulty Hey
0: friends, future Jake here. The Ruperty Trivia Segment is available for patrons of the show. You can find out how Kyle and I did when you head over to patreon.com slash goodtimesociety and pledge any level of membership. We had a lot of fun recording this one. Here's a sample of us laughing. (laughs) See? So if you want to learn and laugh along with us, run over to patreon.com slash goodtimesociety and subscribe right now. Additionally, patrons will be able to submit suggestions for categories and questions for Sam to ask us. So if you're a root head and ready to dive deep into the details, join us on Patreon for more great games and good times.
2: Alright, that's uh that's all I got. Hey, yeah, for a surprise thanks segment. For, thanks for doing that.
0: I love a surprise segment. Thank you for <laughs> adding that to my editing schedule. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> I thought maybe I'm you could just clip kidding. it for a bonus too. If yeah, you want no, it, no,
0: no, no. I love it. more of that, please. Okay. Um that's and if so you fun. like And if you like uh, more of that, well, you can find more of it on the Patreon of Good Time Society. Go ahead and check it out there at Patreon.com slash Good Time Society. You can support this show and all the other amazing shows that we do there. And if you haven't uh, yet come on to the Discord and join the discussion, please do. There's a link on the description of this podcast. You should come talk with us, hang out, organize TTS games, organize digital async games, and uh, just keep up to date on all the conversations we have after each of these podcast episodes release.
2: Yeah. Lots of great stuff going on on Good Time Society. Jake, I just saw that there's a new Dungeons and Dragons show called Claw and Hoarder fantasy victims unit it's like that's a and exactly law and right. order parody that's exactly right <laughs> that's awesome
0: it is awesome the first episode uh debuted the day before uh we recorded this so it'll be about three weeks in so if you haven't had a chance to watch it live when you when you hear this you probably have one more option because there's four episodes you can also catch all of them on our youtube which is youtube.com slash good time society uh that's it for this episode though we'll be back next week with more exciting stuff so in the meantime just remember when you need to to stop the alliance and summon up uh sympathy from everyone else at the table just start screaming in their face
1: woo, 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 woo.